0: Log Talk Radio. The Four Persons Inc. is a federally registered and licensed 501c3 charity. Any use of any of our content without our permission is prohibited by law. Our purpose is evangelization, education, and social action. Please go to our website at the fourpersons.com or our blog site at the 4 to make your tax-deductible donation by credit or debit card. You can also send a check to The Four Persons, Inc., P.O. Box 11214, Manassas, Virginia, 20113. To contact us, send us an email at email at the fourpersons.com. Welcome to the Catholic Ken Apologetics Show on the Four Persons Network. This is our weekly Friday morning show with Catholic apologist Ken Litchfield. To call into the show today, the number is 515-602-9655. That number again is 515-602-9655. And now, let's welcome our host Ken Litchfield.
1: Good morning, Four Persons, Blog Talk Radio Show fans. This is the Catholic Ken Apologetics Show with me, your host, Ken Litchfield. We have a great show planned for you today. Uh, Our founder, John Benko, and I will be discussing some common objections to the Catholic faith and giving some answers. Thanks for tuning in. If you have a question on this topic, you can send me an email at ken at CatholicKen at fourpersons.com That's Catholic with a K and The, the number four, Persons.com. I'm also available to come speak at your parish on this or many other topics. You can contact me at KenLichfield61 at gmail.com or look me up on Facebook. Are you there, John?
2: I'm here. How are you doing this morning?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
2: Doing good. Got my coffee ready to go. Uh huh.
1: Oh, there was an accident or something on the freeway on my way to work this morning, so I was a little late, later than usual, getting to work. But Hmm. fortunately, uh, my schedule is casual. There's no uh, specific time I have to be here. Yeah, that
2: uh, that happens to me sometimes too, and and that's very that's frustrating when you get. stuck behind, something like that, but, you know, always remember it's even more frustrating for the person that it happened to.
1: Exactly. So our first question comes to us here from Monica D, and she asks, so if I show you a picture of my mom and say, this is my mom, they're going to think that the picture literally gave birth to me. Good thing the apostles weren't stupid and understood exactly what Jesus meant. Excuse me. So uh, Catholics don't think that statues of Mary are Jesus' mom. Real Catholics know that Mary has been depicted in many forms. All pictures, paintings, and statues are reminders that Jesus had a mother who provided him with his humanity. So that he could offer himself in sacrifice for our sins. I hope this better under helps you better understand our relationship with Mary. Protestants are off, often accuse us of worshiping statues of Mary and the saints, and you know, in the Catholic churches, of course, we even have crucifixes uh, and. Of course, they don't mind us worshiping God, but they they do try to make a point that you know that uh, statue of Jesus isn't Jesus, and we Catholics, of, of course, are smart enough to know that. Yeah, that statue is not that person. We don't worship statues. We use statues, paintings, and other images as reminders of that person and their actual physical existence at
2: one time here on earth.
1: Anything you'd like to add to that, John?
2: Yeah, I'm familiar with this uh, particular person. She is a rabid anti-Catholic and uh, she actually does us a favor here. She makes such a ridiculous argument here that she, she kind of refutes her own argument by making it so absurd and this is what's known as the straw man fallacy. The straw man fallacy is I can't really or I can't really or don't want to argue against my opponent's actual position, so I'll create a position for my opponent and then I'll argue against that. There isn't a Catholic on earth that believes that a picture can give birth or that a statue of Mary is actually married. Not a Catholic on earth that holds that position. Uh, However, we do stand the value of of representations and symbolism. Now, right in front of me, right now, I have a picture of my three kids. And I'm I'm not saying the picture is them. But my three kids are just as we speak brought into my memory. And I'm thinking of them right now because of the picture that I'm looking at. And that's what a picture is. That's what a statue is. It's a mental focal point. Now, what they try to do, Ken, is they try to pretend that we fall into the sin of idolatry that is present in the Old Testament where they actually worshipped the statue. They actually made an image or a god out of the statue. The golden calf is the is the prime example. Well, Catholics don't do that. So when you're arguing with an anti-Catholic about Mary, understand that you're actually you're, you're starting out with an argument about two false Marys. Not one false Mary, but two false Marys. There's the false Mary that the Protestants posit, which is a sinner, an ordinary woman, Uh, Someone that Jesus didn't even respect. Jesus ridiculed her and put her down. So there's that false Mary. And then there's this other false Mary uh, who is a goddess, who is equal with Jesus, who is even above Jesus, uh, that they claim is the Catholic Mary. So what they do is they try to create what's known as a false dilemma. This is another kind of logical fallacy. They try to create a false dilemma between these two Marys. Okay,
1: well, Mm -hmm.
2: Catholics have to do is they have to reframe the conversation into what the choice actually is. It is a choice between the false Mary, the Protestants posit, and the true Mary of the Bible, who said all generations will call me blessed. The true Mary, who the Bible says is the mother of all the true believers. The true Mary, who is the fulfillment of the Ark of the Covenant. The true Mary, who is the woman clothed with the sun. Who is the Queen of Heaven? The true Mary that the Bible describes versus the false Mary that Protestants describe. And when you reframe the conversation, all you got to do is go to the 18 verses between Revelation 11:19 and Revelation 12:18, uh, 17, and and you basically almost everything we believe about uh, Mary is right in those uh, 18 verses of Scripture. I can't even talk today. <laughs>
1: The coffee hasn't kicked in yet, maybe.
2: Right, right. That must be it.
1: And another thing that we Catholics can do is to turn it around on Protestants is that, you know, well, if you carry a picture (laughs) of your mom or your kids.
0: I'm
1: That means that you have.
2: (laughs) Okay, you have to believe what I. Hold on a second. I have to believe what I just did. I just tried to mute myself so the audience wouldn't hear me gagging over here on my coffee, and I accidentally muted you instead, so the audience still got to hear me cough, but they didn't get to hear what you said, so <laughs> please repeat it again, and I'll be sure and go and edit that out when, uh, when we download this. Sure. Start with um, another thing Catholics can do about Mary.
1: All right, so another thing Catholics can do to turn it around on Protestants is, like, if they have a picture of Their wife their kids their mom that you know they must be worshiping that person Uh, and we actually see this in the Amish that will not have pictures of anybody in their homes because that would be idolatry by having a picture of somebody Uh, one of the things I have learned in more recent years is that uh, Amish are allowed to have calendars on the wall because that is a useful thing for them to keep track of time, but no pictures of anybody. And even their dolls for the kids have no face on them because they don't want them to think of that doll as being any particular person.
2: Right. Hey, Ken, if you don't mind, I'd like to give a real life story of an argument that I used with a friend. It wasn't really an argument, but, just a real-life example, and people can feel free to use this if they want, because I thought it, it worked out very well. Sure. So he, he came to me one day, and he, he's a, a Baptist, a good friend, came to me one day, and he says, he said, I just really want to understand why you Catholics pray to Mary. And I said, oh. I said, okay. I said, I, I guess you uh, – you and I gave a two-part answer, but I'm only going to get one one of the parts here. I said, I guess you see that as a kind of worship, right? He said, Well, yeah, I kind of do. I said, I said I said, Okay. I said, Jim, let me ask you a question. What must I do to be saved? And he said, Well, you have to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I said, Right, Lord and Savior. Not just savior only. Too many just want him as savior only. They want fire insurance. <laughs> but they don't right. want him as Lord. I said, Lord and Savior, right? He said, Well, yeah. I said, Okay. I said, but Jim, what, what do I have to accept about him? And can I just accept that? What if I just said that Jesus is a really nice guy who said a lot of really smart things. Is that enough? He said, well, no. I said, really? I said, well, why not? He said, well, you have to accept who he is. I said, oh, really? Who is that? And he said, well, he's God. I said, he is? And he said, well, yeah. I said, Jim, are you saying that I have to assent To the divinity of Christ before I can worship him? And he said, well, of course. I said, well, that's interesting. Because I don't assent to Mary's divinity, and yet you accuse me of worshiping her. Why the double standard? Mm -hmm. Yep. I would call that argument a checkmate argument.
0: Uh (laughs) Uh-huh.
1: That's a good one. And that's a good one to keep in mind, folks. And I'll keep that in mind as well. So uh, moving on, uh, Kathy C. asks, time and time again, we see R.C.'s, Roman Catholics, quoting the early church fathers like Irenaeus or Augustine, as if that lends any credibility to what we Catholics believe. And she says, we don't care what someone said, and it does no good to say even this reformer believed or said blah, blah, blah. They are not inspired. Why do y'all put so much faith in what men taught, men who were not taught by Christ or the apostles? So uh, my answer is the church fathers provide a chain of evidence for the Catholic interpretation of the Bible time before the Catholic Church assembled the Bible. Protestants just go back to the guy that founded their denomination and his interpretation of the Bible. And I always point this out to Protestants, that you have free will on who you choose to follow. Choose wisely. Because Protestants, you know, we all know that there's a bunch of different Protestant denominations. Whether you want to go with the 40,000 IRS registered ones, or I just point to the five different Protestant churches in my little town. That all teach conflicting things (laughs) but it's obvious that there's a variety of Protestant churches and each Protestant has to choose which guy they want to follow and his interpretation of the Bible and often you'll find with Protestants that when they disagree with you know the guy teaching at this particular church they'll go find a different church And sometimes they just end up with a small group meets at somebody's house. And even like two Protestants will get together and read the Bible and discuss it. And they'll call that church. (laughs) Because it's easy to find one person that agrees with you. (laughs) But, you know, trying to find a whole group of people that actually believe the same interpretation of the Bible as you can be harder to find. But fortunately in the Catholic Church, And in the Bible, it tells us that Jesus left his authority with his church, and his church is the authoritative interpreter of the Bible, because we're also the ones that assemble the Bible, based partly on which of the 140 early Christian writings actually teach what we were already teaching at that time. So what would you like to add to that, John? Uh, Yes,
2: so many things. (laughs) <laughs> she goes wrong in so many places here. First of all, what she's doing is what's known as a circular argument, circular reasoning. I'm Santa Claus. Well, how do I know that you're Santa Claus? Because I just told you that I'm Santa Claus. That, that's a circular argument. And, and what she's doing is she's making a circular argument here. We don't need to follow anything outside of the Bible because we don't need to follow anything outside of the Bible. That's that's her argument. She doesn't justify that position. It's an assertion. Mm-hmm. Sola Scriptura is an assertion and it is the foundation upon which all Protestantism is built on. But you're finding more and more and more Protestants are going back to the church fathers trying to use them to forward their position. For instance, just yesterday I was in a tussle online with a Protestant who was trying to tell me that Irenaeus taught the rapture. Well, that would definitely be news to Irenaeus. I <laughs> promise you that. Um, mm-hmm. But here, But here's the deal. If you don't believe in the authority of the church fathers, that would include Jerome, right? Well, if you right. don't have Jerome, you don't have a Bible. <laughs> the one that translated it. So if you don't believe in the church fathers, then you don't believe in the authority of the church that told us there are 27 inspired books and put those 27 books in order. If you don't believe in the church fathers, you don't believe in the church that canonized the scriptures, translated them, interpreted them and bound them. So it's like saying you go to a fancy restaurant, you go to a fancy restaurant uh and, uh, You know, you order a a nice steak and a nice soup and a baked potato and everything. Um, And then you say, wow, this is is a really, really great meal. And then the waiter says, well, I'll give your compliments to the chef. And and you stand up and say, wait wait a minute, I don't believe in any chef. There's no chef. I don't have to – why do I have to, you know, I I, I believe in the steak alone, the soup alone. I don't believe in any (laughs) chef. and that's the- I'm being absurd here, but that's the ridiculous of their argument. They want the soup without the chef
1: exactly, yes, they assume that the this food has already always existed, and that you just get to enjoy that as it is right and neglect how the Bible actually came together and uh you know I had a discussion recently with a person you know about, uh, let's see, was it Tyndale, I think? Yeah, you know, recently um, the anniversary of his martyrdom came up and, you know, and Protestants like to say that Tyndale was, you know, the first to translate the Bible into English, which he wasn't, and also that, uh, you know, the Catholics, Killed him because he translated the Bible into English and that wasn't allowed. And I explained to him historically that the Catholic Church provided uh, partial, at least, English translations of the Bible for, let's see, about 700 years before Tyndale came along.
0: <laughs> and right.
1: the problem is not translating the Bible into English, the problem is good translations. And even in our modern times, the Jehovah Witnesses have a translation of the Bible that is not a good translation. And if you can ever get a hold of the New World Translation Bible, uh, if you find it in a garage sale or a used bookstore, you know, buy it and burn it <laughs> because it's not a good translation. It's a corrupted right. translation of the Word of God.
2: So, so Tyndale is uh, one of those things that they get everything right except the facts when right. <laughs> uh, they come to well, the Catholic Church burned Tyndale to death uh, for translating the Bible into English. Well, that's true, except for the fact that the English killed Tyndale, and they strangled him, and then they burned his dead body, and it was for not signing off on the adulterous relationship of the king. But other than that you got everything right.
0: <laughs> right.
2: Never let oh, the also, get in the way
1: of a good story.
2: Right. And also uh, St. Thomas More was uh you know was killed for the same thing. Uh there were a lot of there were a lot of Catholic uh, saints that were that were martyred uh by the English too. Uh another being Joan of Arc.
1: Right? And We also have to understand, you know, in our modern times, you know, the idea of killing somebody, you know, for their religion, you know, is like really hard to understand. But back in the Middle Ages, the church and state worked hand in hand, and the authority of the state came from the church. So if you did not accept the religion of the state, you were questioning the authority of the state, and so if the Catholic Church did, could not convince the person that the religion is the correct one, uh, they would turn him over to the state, and the state would execute them, not for being a Protestant, but for being, uh, let's see, a, a traitor to the state because they didn't respect the authority of the state.
2: Right. And you know, there were you know, there were some dark times, there were some bad periods in the church, but people need to be mindful of the fact that the corruption uh that existed at spotty times in the existence of the church wasn't because the church infiltrated the state, it was because the state infiltrated the church. It's very much that we that we what we see today. We have this whole mindset on the left that uh, separation of church and state is to protect the state from the church. It's not. It's to protect the church from the state. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's very easy to see which one is the wolf and which one is the sheep in this scenario.
1: Right. And that was very much the problem in the eastern part of early Christianity that the – Like, when the Roman Empire capital moved to Constantinople, the emperor moved there first, and then he tried to move the church there, you know, the head of the church, to Constantinople, and make the bishop of Constantinople the prime bishop of the whole Catholic church. And all the other patriarchal churches, you know, like Jerusalem, Alexandria... Antioch and Rome, you know, disputed that idea and the patriarchal center of the church remained in Rome, even though Rome had become more like a secondary class city in the Roman Empire at that time because of it becoming an old city and falling apart, basically. But all through the eastern part, the eastern church history, the Bishop of Constantinople kind of served at the leisure of the emperor of Mm -hmm. the Eastern Roman Empire. So instead of the bishop having authority over the emperor, the emperor really had authority over the bishop.
2: And that's a recipe for disaster. So let's move on to the next question.
1: This comes from John O., a friend of mine on the John Martinoni Bible Christian Society page. And he wrote, I just had a customer walk in with a shirt that read, Christianity is not a religion. Obviously, I'm not going to debate theology with a customer. But I was wondering, what would be an appropriate Catholic response to this claim? And so I answered, when a person says Christianity is a relationship, I asked them to define what their participation in that relationship is. Whatever they define that to be, that is their religion. The relationship idea allows the individual to make up their own religion, but that's not God's plan for our salvation. God gave the Jews many specific things that they had to do in their relationship with him in the book of Leviticus. Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism, and we are no longer required to offer animal sacrifices at the temple. However, Jesus told his apostles to teach and baptize in Matthew chapter 28. And Peter did that 10 days later in Acts chapter 2, where 3,000 are added to the church through baptism. Jesus also told his apostles that they had to eat his flesh and drink his blood to have eternal life. Jesus also gave his apostles the authority to forgive sins in John chapter 20. And the way that these things are practiced in the Catholic Church is our religion. And the word religion comes from the word religio in Latin, I believe it is. And that means like the way you walk or the way you do things. So religion is not so much uh, the group of people that have authority in that spiritual body. Religion is like the rules that you have to follow to stay on the path. And if you think about our salvation as being on the path to heaven, then you recognize that there are boundaries to the path. And if you get off the path, then you can end up in the brambles or you know, going down the wrong path and ending up in hell. And God gave his church the authority to guide us in the path to heaven. And we do well to listen to the church's authority that's trying to lead us to heaven. If you do what the church tells you to do. But we have free will and we can use off the path and follow a different path. And if we persevere until the end in the wrong direction, you can end up in hell. But if you find yourself in hell after you die, you can only point to yourself as to why you ended up there.
2: Dan, you know what the word hypocrite, uh, when Jesus uses the word hypocrite in the New Testament, do you know what that word actually means? What it's actually, the actual etymology of the word is? No, I don't. It's, it's a word that conveys an actor, like someone, like a Hollywood actor. It's someone who's playing a role, okay? And Jesus talked about this. Jesus talked about people who serve him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. So they make a leap here that evil Knievel couldn't make. <laughs> that that uh, well, that just meant Jesus was against all religion. That's like the police pull you over for speeding, and you say, well, the pl- whole police department hates all cars. <laughs> no, they don't hate cars. They hate people who misuse cars, or they, they hate the misuse of cars. Okay? Jesus didn't hate religion. Jesus hated the misuse of religion. He hated a hypocrisy of false religion. Okay? Okay? That's what he railed against. He, he was against people playing a role. Now, this is one of those examples of things that Protestants just, I, I have to say, they just make up out of thin air. Because there is not a single verse of scripture that says that God was against religion or that Jesus hated religion. I can see that he was against hypocrisy. He was against greed. He was against envy. He was against malice. He was against all sorts of things. But religion is something that God instituted himself. (laughs) He said, and and what did he say about those in the chair of Moses, about uh, the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 24, is it? Either 23 or 24. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in the chair of Moses. Therefore, you must do all of the things that they say but don't follow their example. For they preach, but they don't practice. So they want you to throw out the baby with the bathwater and Jesus is against uh, preaching, he's against practicing, he's against all of it, just uh, a personal relationship. That's all that he's looking for. Well, like you brought up, you're, you're a married man. You have a personal relationship with your wife but how long would that personal relationship with your wife last if you decided you were going to dictate all of the terms of that relationship, that you weren't accountable to anything, uh, that you could set all the terms of all the things that she was accountable for and responsible for, but nothing was required of you? How long would your marriage last if you took that kind of approach?
1: Uh, not very long. You know. Right.
2: <laughs> so I barely
1: lose are... anything. <laughs>
2: Right, so they are indeed right that there is a relationship. The relationship is called covenant, and the word covenant appears in the Bible over 400 times. Well, what is a covenant? A covenant is an exchange. It is an exchange of, of God's uh, expectations for us and his promises for us. It's what he requires of us and what he promises to us. That is what a covenant is. It is a relationship. But when you try to say that relationship abolishes religion, well, that goes against the entire Bible because the entire covenant relationship is based on our fulfillment of the religious duties that are prescribed for us to do. Mm-hmm. And a
1: relationship requires, you know, when two people make a covenant, you know, I will do this, and I will do that, and both people are accountable for of that relationship.
2: And, and we also have to lose this idea that that it's a relationship of equals. We are not God's equal. Mm-hmm. We, we, need to, we need to be very mindful of that. We are not equals in this relationship. We, we request, he commands. That's the way this mm-hmm. relationship works. We are not in a position to make any demands on God but he is in a position to make demands on us. And if he makes demands on us, he is in a position uh, that requires his justice requires that there be a penalty for us refusing to obey those commands. So it is a relationship, but it is not a relationship of equals.
1: Right. God sets the terms of the relationship and we choose to sign on to it.
2: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Not
1: that, uh, you know, Oh well, you're my God, and then you know, I'll I'll tell you what I want to do.
2: <laughs> yeah, here's here's my to do list for you today, God. I need you to do all of these <laughs> right. things. Doesn't work that way,
1: right? I remember Matthew Kelly talking about how, you know, uh, a priest encouraged him to start attending daily mass, and so so I started attending daily mass, and every day I would go to church and uh, tell God what I wanted from him that day. <laughs> Right. And then, uh, but over time, you know, he came to realize that you know he needs to open himself up to what God wanted him to do that day,
2: right? Not and the what biggest, he wanted God to do that day, right? And the biggest change in me is when I realized that I needed to stop promising God all the things that I was going to do for Him, uh, as if it was me that had the the power and the ability, and I needed to start recognizing my helplessness and. Um, approaching him for the strength and the grace to do all the things that he wishes to do through me. And that's the thing we need to be mindful of is that apart from him, we can't do anything.
1: Right. And, you know, everything I do is by God's grace. It's not uh, not my own works.
2: Was was it Augustine... I think it was Augustine that said that anything that is good in good in me is because of the grace of God, and anything that is not good in me is my own fault. Mhm amen,
1: amen yep and i I continue to do my best to serve the Lord, and sometimes I do better than others, but it's all for the Lord. So, uh, let's move on here. Uh, Kathy M. writes, I'm curious about religious vocations. When a priest or a deacon is ordained, they receive sacramental grace. What about women religious? Their orders for the woman, who they are not receiving a sacrament, so what about the grace? So, I explained to her that God's grace is made available through all the sacraments. Grace is also available from many other sources in the Catholic Church, like devotionals and Bible reading. We have a veritable power strip of ways to plug into God's grace in the Catholic Church. Deacons and priests receive an indelible mark that of when they receive the Sacrament of holy orders. When a woman becomes a nun, she is connected to a group of women who are all specially connected to God's grace. Nuns don't receive an indelible mark other than baptism, but God knows who they are and their devotion. Deacons and priests are marked as representatives of Jesus who are authorized by their bishop to administer sacraments in the person of Christ. None serve each other and our communities as members of the body of Christ, just like all of us who are baptized. God's grace is available to everyone. We have to choose to open up to it and to let it change us so that we can grow closer to Christ. And this kind of builds on what we were just talking about that, you know, God is the one who's in control, <laughs> He's the one who right. tells us what he wants us to do we don't tell god that you know well i want to do this and i want to do that um and sometimes you know people will join a religious order or uh think they have a calling to do this or that in the church and they find out that you know that's not worth them to serve in the church uh whether you know, say like in your local parish, if you want to do something and the priest that's in charge of your local parish says, no, I don't want to do that here. Uh, and the priest has that authority. So you have to look for something else to do, you know, either in your parish or outside of your parish. And there are many different options in the Catholic Church. You don't have to just do something at your local parish. You can do Street evangelization, you can do things online, you can open up a YouTube channel or a podcast channel or or do shows like this. We all have options, Uh, and we need to work, do our best to work in cooperation with the body of Christ wherever we can, and not abandon the church just because someone told you no about something some at some point what would you like to add John
2: well it's obvious that God is sexist and he wants to treat men superior to women right <laughs> I mean mm-hmm. it, 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 it's kind of funny because but that's the mindset <laughs> of a lot of people um, well I would argue that God ordained women to bear children This was not a role that he wanted for men to have. Now, if God had wanted men to have that role, then he would have ordained it and he would have provided for it. But he didn't. It is not ours to understand why God established the roles that he did. Well, why did God not want to allow for women priests? Well, we can get into a long theological dissertation about this and that and why, All that we need to know is we don't need to know why God ordained it. We need to know that God ordained it. And this is something you hear from Protestants all the time. Well, God could have done it this way or God could have done it that way. God didn't have to use Mary to bring Jesus into the world. Yes, but he did use Mary to bring Jesus into the world. So that's what we have to confront and that's what we have to uh, uh, deal with is that God did do it this way and God instructed us to do it this way. So. You know, is is it because our church hates women? No, uh, and we have women who are doctors of the church. Some of the greatest saints in the history of the Catholic Church, including the greatest, by the way, were women. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it, it's it's an issue of roles, and it's an issue of roles that were ordained by God for reasons that only He can fully understand. Does this mean that God is uh, God ordained that men are superior to women? That he doesn't love women. That all, you know, there are some r- religions that consider women to be second-class citizens. In fact, the irony of it is, is that when Christianity came along, it kind of freed people, emancipated people from that kind of a, a of a, a life, because in old, in uh, Old Testament Judaism, women were often treated as second-class citizens, and they are today. In uh, the religion of Islam, so Christianity was was very much the first religion to recognize the dignity of women and raise the dignity of women. And the first witnesses to the resurrection were women, but um, right, but God ordained that priests would be men. And uh, but this doesn't mean that the women don't receive grace, and, and grace appears in two forms: there's sanctifying grace, which cleanses us from sin and there's actual grace that 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 guides us in in our uh in our, in our way of life strengthens us uh leads us on the right path and the the issue is that all of us as you said are parts in a role established by God God's orchestrating the entire thing and we all fit in our parts and do our role it's not about us
1: who don't know Christian history Think that, uh, well, they don't know that at the time of Jesus, you know, women were considered second class citizens in their culture. Um, You had to have the witness of two women to count as much as one man. And you had to also, in the Roman Empire, you know, women were considered property just like anything else that a man would own. So, In Christianity where women were given equal dignity with men this was a new thing and quite revolutionary and the it was became very attractive to women because all of a sudden well here's a group of people that count me as good as a man and you know the the women whose husbands that would, had become widows because their husbands had been killed off internal battles of the Roman empire, you know, found Christianity very attractive and these same women often inherited their husband's wealth and were able to help the church out a lot that way.
2: Right. And so, I, I want to say one more thing. Yep. If the If the Bible and the Christian religion were designed to make women look bad, well, in the scene of the crucifixion, there were three women at the foot of the cross, only one man. There were 12 apostles. <laughs> only one of them showed up at the crucifixion. So that was not a scene to make women look bad because it was the men that ended up not looking so good in that, in that particular scene. Right?
1: Right. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, the, you know, two women were the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. And even before that, you know, Mary Magdalene, you know, saw Jesus in the garden. And the fact that the Bible records the witness of women first, you know, shows us, you know, just how much credibility uh, to women in Christianity, first of all. And that how we, the early Christian writers were willing to give that credibility to women which most of the early readers of the Bible would have said oh well these women saw this and said or said they saw this you know what does that
2: matter and that, that tells you that, mindset. If, if the, that tells you if the Christian writers were writing a story that they wanted to trick people into believing then the last thing that they would have done is said well these women said they witnessed this that's the last thing they were would have done if they were trying to write a, a, a a man made uh, credible uh, fable.
0: Mm
1: hmm. Yeah, instead of offering the, the least, you know, what would have been considered the least credible witnesses, that's not the, where you would want to start if you're trying to make a case or something. Right.
0: right. And
1: in the Catholic Church, you know, our priests and deacons serve in the person of Christ. And since We Catholics recognize that there is a difference between men and women. Only men can serve in the person of Christ. However, we offer equal dignity to women and allow them to serve in many other ways. Some Protestant churches, you know, following um, what Paul taught, I don't remember exactly where, but, you know, Paul writes about how women shouldn't, you know, speak in the church. And if they have any questions, they should ask their husband. And some Protestants, you know, will go so far as to say that, you know, women are not allowed to teach men because of what Paul wrote there. And it's it's really not fair to women. Uh, and because Protestants are stuck with the Bible alone, they can't evolve their theology over time, and... Uh, Paul was writing to, you know, a mixed Jewish and Christian audience, and based on the culture of the time, you know, that was his advice at the time. Just like when he talks about a bishop should be a man with only one wife and have an orderly household, that was the culture of the time, and that was of what was available at the time. There wasn't a bunch of single men waiting around to become priests and bishops, so you work with what you got. Right, because the Church is Jesus left his authority with his Church, we can evolve the church's disciplines and doctrines as needed as the church grows right, and that's another important thing, like the Catholic Church adapts its disciplines and doctrines as the church grows, not to fit in with the culture but to work with the situation of the church you know if all we had was local bishops and they're all doing their own thing you know there would be chaos in the church so that's why all the bishops have to submit to the authority of their archbishop and the cardinals and the pope
2: right exactly
1: so let's see uh anything else to add on that or shall we move on yep
2: let's move on to the next one
1: okay So, Bobby J. asks, I did get an answer on how radical Darwin papists explained their belief of billions of years on Earth before Adam and Eve brought sin and death into the world. But getting no answers from cult members is normal.
2: Okay. Bobby so, Jay of
1: course was a, a you, rabid bro- anti Catholic.
2: <laughs> you you broke up a little bit, but I want you to repeat that uh, whole thing over again just so everyone can enjoy all of the uh this, you know, non biased, straight question from Bobby J. You know. So, so go ahead and repeat the whole thing again. Okay.
1: So Bobby J asks, I never did get an answer about I'm sorry, let's start again. Bobby J asks, I never did get an answer how heretical Darwin Darwinianists explained their belief of billions of years of death on earth before Adam and Eve brought sin and death into the world. But getting no answers from cult members is normal.
2: So So, so Bobby, Bobby J wins the prize here. For the uh, for massively cramming as many logical fallacies into one sentence as humanly possible, uh, so he, he he does have to be commended for his creativity. We'll give him that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, here's here's the reason. Here's the here's the idea behind a question like that, folks. Honestly, when you try to apprehend a question like that, um. And I'll just make this comment because I know uh, Ken has something he wants to say about it. But the idea is to throw so many accusations at you at once that you're frustrated at your inability to answer all of them, and so you you you, know, you throw up your hands in exasperation. He says, ah, see, see, you can't answer, so you're guilty of everything I accused you of." So that that's the idea. It's it's what's known as the machine gun uh, tactic. Go ahead. I'm sure you had.
1: Yeah. Uh The first thing is when, you know, someone makes such a rabid anti-Catholic attack is, you know, we might be tempted to just, you know, rabidly attack them back. But by God's grace, we can recognize what they're actually doing and ignore the anti-Catholic part and give them an answer, not that they're likely to, change their mind so much but at least anybody who sees their question they will have a good answer that they can think about so this is my answer for bobby j adam and eve were given human souls that the animals and plants don't have so all the animals and plants that died before adam and eve they didn't have a human soul our human soul exists after our bodily death, unlike animal souls, God and e- Adam and Eve were created without concupiscence and therefore did not have an, an inherited sin tendency. However, God gave Adam and Eve free will to follow him because true love requires a free will choice. Otherwise, it is coercion, not love. Uh, just a little aside here, Protestants following Luther and Calvin, will generally deny that we have free will because they want to put our salvation on God alone and we're subject only to God's will for our salvation. But as I explain, true love requires a free will choice. When Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, he kicked them out of the garden and they had to toil to live. Their sin brought about physical death into their lives as God said it would, so eventually they died. We inherit Adam and Eve's fallen nature and call it original sin because our fallen nature comes from their original sin. When we are born, we lack the initial grace that Adam and Eve were born with. However, baptism restores that initial grace to help us obey God and live as he calls us to. We still have our fallen nature, known as concupiscence, and can use our free will to sin against God. That is why God made provision for the Israelites to restore their relationship with God through confession and animal sacrifice. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice that provided sufficient grace To save everybody. If we sin after our saving baptism, we can have that same holiness restored through the sacrament of reconciliation. A priest acting in the person of Jesus and with the authority that was handed on from the apostles. hears our confession like a Jewish priest. And and Jesus gives us absolution through his priest acting in our world. After confession, we have the burden of our sins removed and feel spiritually so much better. You should try it. You might like it. And somebody like Bobby J., you know, who is so bitter, often that bitterness is based on previous sin. And when people continue to repeat a sin over and over, it just heaps up that animosity
2: Mm -hmm. mm-hmm yes a psychological device called projection Mm -hmm. and uh all of us have dealt with it at one time or another in our lives or it's a you go through a period of self-loathing uh anger at yourself that you project onto someone else now i i will be honest with you i'm in the human condition and um i'm not as far advanced as ken is in this area I would probably have responded with some smart aleck remark to Bobby J. Probably would have told him to wipe the drool off of his mouth or something. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I'm not saying what's right. I'm saying what is. Um, mm-hmm. But here's the way I would logically take apart what he says. Let's go through his opening statement. I want to go through very slowly, stop you from time to time, just to give this example. So let's start from, from the beginning. Let's read his whole this whole uh, question. Okay.
1: I never did get an answer how heretical Darwinian papists explained
2: their belief. Right, stop right of there. Millions... Okay. Stop stop right there. Okay. So we're heretical, that's accusation number one. We're Darwinian, that's accusation number two. And then uh, papist is an ad hoc. Okay? So that's three attacks right there. Keep going. Mm -hmm. Right.
1: Explain their belief of billions of years of death on earth before Adam and Eve.
2: Stop stop right there. Accusation number four. The Catholic Church asserts that there were billions of deaths on earth before Adam and Eve. Okay, keep going.
1: Um, Brought sin and before Adam and Eve brought sin and death into the world. But getting no answers from cult members is
2: normal. Accusation number five. That we're a cult. Okay. Yep. So I would then turn to Bobby J. I would spell that out and say, now, do you want to have an adult conversation? I'll tell you what. Here's the five assertions that you make. I'll let you pick one, and we'll start to debate with that one, one at a time. And I'll let you pick which one. But we're only going to have a conversation on one subject at a time. After we close out subject number one, we'll move to subject number two. But I'm not going to try and debate five assertions with you at the same time, because you and I both know we can't do it, and it's dishonest of you to frame a question in, the, in, in, this, in this manner. The question I have for you, Bobby J., is can you send your position that's what I want to know. So, let's start with one. You made the assertion that we're that Catholics are Dar- Darwinians. All right. Well, whatever. Where's your evidence? I want to see you support that evidence with facts. Because if you can't, then all you're doing is making an accusation, and anyone can make his accusations. The Bible tells us that the devil is the accuser. He accuses the brethren day and night. So it's one thing to make an accusation. It's another thing to make an argument presented with facts to say. This fact establishes that the Catholic Church believes A. Why does the Catholic Church believe A when the Bible says B? Instead, you make a bl- blank a- assertion that uh, all Catholics or Darwinians that believe that that uh, you know, billions of people lived and died before Adam and Eve. I don't believe that. I don't think that Ken believes that. Am I right, Ken?
1: Right. I don't believe that.
2: Okay. So, you know, he's making a blanket assertion. Again, this is setting up a straw man about what we believe when it, in fact it there's no resemblance to what we believe. So, you're saying, "Why did you not get an answer?" Well, you framed the question in a way that's impossible to answer. It's like, "Have you stopped beating your wife yet?" Right. <laughs> I, you know, I never beat my wife in the first place. So, what reason would there be for me to stop doing something that never happened, you know, the dishonestly framed question. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's the way Protestants like to do it. They they give you a, a, a poorly framed question just so they can beat you up for not giving you a good answer. Right. So that's it for today's show. We'll do the wrap up here. Thanks for tuning in today like a copy of today's show notes or have a follow-up question, you can send me an email at Ken at fourpersons.com or look me up on Facebook. If you'd like to have me come and speak at your parish on this or many other topics, you can send me an email at kenlitchfield61 at gmail.com on Facebook. May God bless and guide your efforts to bring the truth of the Catholic faith to the world.
2: Bye-bye now.